Blog Talk Radio. Which is it is Friday, October 30th. I don't know why I felt the need to announce that, but whatever. Anyway, if you're new to the show, happy to have you. Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if dirty language, bodily functions, or anything else perverse I might say might offend you, this may not be the show for you. And I will understand. I will be hurt, but I'll get over it. Anyway, Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the incredible Wicked One herself, the amazing Dorothy Marson. Please go to wickedwitchstudios.com. She is still having, for the next 24 hours or so, her Halloween sale, sprays and oils that you can only get during this season this month. And if you need that shipped overseas, please check out theangrycauldron.com. They do all of Dorothy's overseas shipping. Okay, so we're really close to an election, as well you know, and I'm stressed. I don't know if everybody else is, but I'm particularly stressed. So I'm extremely happy tonight to have our guest, the wonderful Gwen Raven, author of The Magic of Food, is going to spend the hour with me, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about uh, a Samhain feast and uh, a couple of of other things. Hey, Gwen. Hey, how are you Hello? doing this evening? Hey, how are you? It's so good to hear I'm from you. Too. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back on the show. So, what are you doing to prepare for, for Samhain? My goodness, I have so many things on my list. Some of them are like, you know, kitchen <laughs> related, like, as you might imagine. You know, me, I, I'm always going to be around the kitchen making food. Uh, and, yeah. um, and, and you know, a few other fun things as well. Going to do some ritual, definitely going to eat, do some ancestor worship, go for a walk in a graveyard. Lots of different things that I'm going to do over the weekend. And, you know, we've got a few days before election day, so I'll be making sure that all my friends and family and, and everybody else that can vote did vote. If they can't get to a voting place, to a polling booth, I'll drive them there if I have to carry them on my back. That's wonderful. Yeah, this is this is a, a pretty big deal this time. You know, it's interesting. A number of years back, everyone started saying, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And every election subsequent to that became the most important election of our lifetime. And I'm finding that as time goes on and as I get older, it's more and more true. Like every election is so important. And, you know, because of certain things that happened, we now have Trump in the, in, in the White House and we've got to get this guy out of here. He's insane. Yeah, I'm a big, uh, big yeah. fan of, you know, it, the, the person – on the top of the ticket for the Democrats might not be the person that you wanted, 
Uh, the vice presidential right. pick might not have been your favorite pick, but you know what? That's not what the election is about this year. It is about removing Trump yeah. from office, and it's also about protecting the Supreme Court and all of the court's um, appointees you know, that, that come after that. It's about women's rights. Like, it probably hasn't been since the 1970s, for God's sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's things that I imagine yeah. a lot of people thought were done and over with and in yeah. the past um, have mm-hmm. surfaced so horribly in the last, you know, four or five years um, that I think if, if we want social justice, equality for people of color, opportunity for people that aren't in the 1%, uh, uh, women's rights to be protected, uh, then the election is not about whether you love Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or, or whomever it is. It's about Trump not being in office. And I'm happy to go on record saying that as loudly as I can. And I'll do anything I can to help people get to the polls to, to cast that kind of vote. So, yeah, yeah, big, um, big election coming up for sure. Yeah, it's it's been really stressful. You know, last time a lot of us thought it was a given that the Democrats would win, and the shock and horror that ensued afterwards was actually like nothing I'd ever seen before in this country, where, I mean, people were openly weeping at the idea that this game show host was going to be president. And... Uh, he has proven to be worse than imagined and that's really scary. And now that he's appointed this, um, uh, federalist, uh, person who is definitely against abortion and against the ACA, which if anyone doesn't know, the affordable care act is how a lot of people actually have health care. The ACA is also what protects people with pre-existing conditions, which is like 90% of everyone I know. Um, and they're looking to overthrow that. And if Trump gets his way, that's exactly what's going to happen because now the Supreme Court is stacked with a larger number of conservatives. And Trump appointed conservatives three. That's a lot for one president. Um so it really messed everything up. So like Wien says, folks, please get to the polls, do everything you can to make sure that this nightmare ends and ends soon. We have to have an overwhelming victory uh, so that it can't even be contested. What do you think about that? Because he's threatened to contest no matter what. Well, you know what? I think, um, the one thing that we know about this president is he will bend rules and uh, co-opt other branches of the government to bend rules. So is it going to happen? Yes. I think the the best and the biggest thing that can happen to make sure that um, even if he does whine and cry about it, if he loses, and I hope he really does. Um, but Me I too. think it's, it's, if it's, you know, states like Florida, which are kind of 50-50 at the moment, if that breaks, not for Trump. If Texas, which for the first time in probably 50 years could flip yep. and become, uh, could go for the Democrats. You know, if states like that really do come through, if some of those Rust Belt states, um, uh, you know, the, the Michigans and the Pennsylvanias and the places that, that went for Trump last time, if those places don't go for Trump this time, um, then uh, 
there's not a lot to contest. Will he? Absolutely. I think, you know, in realistic mm-hmm. terms, this could be the first time in 300 years that that, that peaceful turnover, handover of power um, is in jeopardy. Um, and, uh, yes. you know, that's a scary yeah. thing. So, you know, there are, there are two things that we can do, right? Do magic yeah. and vote. Mm-hmm. You know, doing magic yeah. and not voting doesn't help. Right. You've got to actually get out there and vote. So, yeah, you know, and in the meantime, we've got this weekend. uh, Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's uh, be with friends and family as much as we can, given uh, social distancing and some of the things out there. uh, And let's, you know, get to work on Monday, Tuesday, and hopefully on Wednesday. It's it's um, it's a new world again. I hope so. Oh, that would be lovely. So while we're talking about, you know, it being uh, Samhain and and ancestor veneration, it's a lovely time of the year for us to commune with, you know, the people who come before us. Um, How difficult is that for you, somebody who's so social and does love to cook so much uh, in the time of COVID? I mean, what what can you do – and, you know, are you able to spend any time with friends at a respectful distance? Is that, I'm sure it's made it more difficult. Yeah, and you know what? Um, in our household, um, we very um, clearly and, and maybe even severely adopted the, the COVID protocols, right? So we've been ordering food online instead of going to the grocery store or growing food where we could um, to, to, you know, to, again, to reduce the amount of times that we were out. Um, uh, We haven't had people over to the house. Um, In fact, about two weeks ago, we had some dear friends that wanted to come up to where we live um, and, um, and, and come and see the new place that Phoenix, my partner, live in. We, we moved recently. And so they were able to uh-huh. come by, and they did come into the house and did go into the back garden, and then we spent, you know, an hour or so a very far apart distance wearing masks. Um, and it's so odd because those two friends are also um, amazing cooks and chefs. And when we get together what we do often is chat and cook and, um, you know, I'm having a conversation while I'm dicing onions and he's dressing the roast and she's baking a pie and Phoenix is filling up everybody's drinks, you know? <laughs> so it's, um, yeah. a lot of, a lot of my social time is spent with friends in bars or in restaurants or eating food or yep. sharing food. So this last, you know, eight, nine months has been really, really challenging um, on, on me personally, but also on our family and, and the way we do things. And um, I'm not, a, you know, COVID has a silver lining kind of person at all because it's, you know, it's a terrible thing. But um, sure. it has also, uh, it, it has reminded me why being able to cook is so important. Why, when, especially at the beginning, when lots of things weren't in stock in stores the way that they yes. would normally be, being able to mm-hmm. 
make do, being able to take a whole chicken and make that turn into, you know, we'd have wings and thighs one night. We'd have drumsticks another night. We'd have breasts uh, another night. And then we'd cook the stock down or cook the carcass down and make an amazing chicken stock. And then any leftover bits of chicken would go into a chicken soup, right? So the ability to make one chicken last for four or five meals um, is a gift. Like I, I was very grateful that I know how to cook, uh, and that my yeah. um, grandparents and friends and other people that contributed to my cooking knowledge um, taught me those things. So nothing got wasted. I mean, that's always been my credo anyway. But when you were thinking, oh, mm-hmm. geez, am I going to be able to get food next week? Uh, it became even more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so you know, as far saying as gathering, that that might happen difficult. again. I think it probably yeah, will. They're saying yeah. that they're, they're, they're saying that some things may be difficult again this winter to get. So for protein, I went ahead and laid in a supply of black beans and lentils and some other things that would still provide the family protein uh, when meat is more scarce because we had a horrible time for a few months getting any kind of meat at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's important no matter what your diet is, right? Whether you're vegan, vegetarian, uh, omnivore, carnivore, you know, whatever your, your um, diets are, it's very important to have a good mix of things and just the ability to, again, you know, if money is short, if time is short, if resources are short to be able to say, what's the most nutrition, most flavor, most fun, you know, that I can have with this food so that, um, you know, you can sustain yourself or anybody else that, you know, you, you provide for. Um, so, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, um, uh, I, I'm much the same way. I've got a, I'm very fortunate to have a f- freezer out in my garage and that is um, mm. well stocked for the next couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. A lot of people, and, and because I don't, unfor- I don't unfortunately have a free, an extra freezer, I do have friends who do, and they do have them stocked. But that's why I try. What do you suggest in addition to, um, because you're so knowledgeable about foods, you know, in addition to the beans and rice, is there anything else you you suggest that I should be stocking in the larder because I don't have a freezer? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of things. You mentioned lentils, you know, um, lentils, dried peas, uh, chickpeas. Um, or gabonzo beans, you know, things like that. You can do a great deal with those kidney beans, all of those kinds of things um, that are packed with protein. Um, If you have the ability to make stocks, so chicken stock, vegetable stock, things like that, um, and freeze them, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to do. Um, That way you've always got those things available. Um, They add flavor, they add nutrition. Um, Anything that you can get um, that's in a... um, uh, you know, a polenta is fantastic as well, not necessarily for its protein, oh. but for its versatility. You know, polenta is fantastic. You can make that. cornmeal crust pizzas. You can, you know, you can do so much. You can eat polenta for breakfast like you would. Oatmeal bowls are one of my favorite. You make a bowl full of polenta, and then on top of that, you put avocado, poached egg, some greens, um, you know, meat, beans, whatever it is that you want, and then you can have this really delicious you can have it for breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, 
Tuesday afternoon, three o'clock, just because you feel like it. So it's really easy to make, and it keeps. You can make it in a in an Instapot or a Crock-Pot or, a you know, a, whatever you've got on the stove. You can have a big bowl of polenta, sure. and it'll last for days. So I love polenta. That's that's brilliant. I've not, I didn't think of that, and I've added it to my list. So thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a specific, is there a specific kind that you recommend? No, I mean there's there's all kinds of great polentas, you know. So just look at your personal tastes, you know. If there's a if there's a local brand that you can choose over a national brand, that's fantastic. But um, you know, polenta is just it's just great. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. I'm I'm going to keep that in mind and put it on my list as well. I I do not. I haven't been inside a grocery store in months for the same reasons yeah. as you. I uh, I social distance even though I work with people who refuse to. Um, but if everyone knows if they come near me, I'm going to start shrieking. So they've decided that that wasn't a good idea. But I mean, I'm I'm concerned because I see a lot of a, a lot of my uh, fellow North Carolinians feeling that this is not a real thing, even though, you know, it's been proven, oh, it's a very real thing. Thousands of people are dying weekly. It's a, it's a tragedy, but it, it yeah. seems like a lot of people don't want to believe it's real until it hits their family. And I just find that so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's hard, right? Um, I can certainly empathize, um, I know a lot of people that don't know anyone that's got it. And they say that as if, um, like you said, like it doesn't exist or it's not as dangerous. And it's like, well, there's a reason that you don't know that many people or anyone that's got it. It's because we're wearing masks. It's because we're socially distanced. It's because we're taking as many precautions as we are for those people that are. That's why it's not every other person. Um, So if, if you're saying, well, nothing's happening, Right. It's because the majority of people are doing the right things to protect themselves and their family and to protect other people. So, you know, but you don't see, you know, people laying in the streets. You don't see ambulances going around the corner all the time um, if you're not a healthcare mm-hmm. worker, right, or, or somebody in, in social right. services. Um, but, you know, my family uh, has been touched by it. We have a cousin of my wife who had a terrible time with. COVID. She's fine now, but she's got some lingering effects from it. Uh, We had a friend in our community, a wonderful man that uh, died just a few months ago because of complications from Mm. COVID. Um, So, um, yeah, you know, I think if you haven't been touched by it, it's not real, right? And my hope is that most people aren't touched by it, but clearly, what, 200,000 Americans uh, have died of this? So, um, they, you know, there's a reason, you know, that um, that we should be precautious. I agree. So, so tell me, back to the topic that we were originally yeah. going to talk about. Um, so, what what is what's the proper meal, or what do you think would be the best meal if if we were celebrating with friends? Or, I mean, because we can still make these feasts just for our, you know, our immediate family, you know, the people you actually live with. It doesn't always have to be huge, obviously, because of COVID. It can't be this year. But what do you recommend as a proper Samhain feast? You know what? So here's, here's what I'm going to say about that. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to have tomorrow. That's um, what I want to know. And 
<laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. And then I think from that, uh, folks listening will probably figure out what works for them. So here's what I'm, I'm having tomorrow. So um, the, the first thing that I do when I think about my Samhain feast, so obviously what I do is, is I really want to make sure I'm remembering um, the, the important people in my life, whether I knew them or not, that have impacted me. So it kind of breaks down in three categories, right? So there's the beloved yep. dead. So these are, you know, these are the people I knew, right? You know, the grandparents, um, parents, you know, people like that. My beloveds who have died, dear friends, family of choice, you know, folks like that. Then there's yeah. the, the mighty dead. And the mighty dead are um, the innovators and the influencers of the craft. So within the traditions that I practice, there are elders that have gone before us but who were influential for all of witchcraft or paganism. So we might uh, also honor them. And then there's, um, for me, there's kind of like my adopted beloved dead, if you will. So uh, to give you an example, I have a Samhain altar. Um, we have it up throughout the year as an ancestor altar, but at this time we, we add more to it. And we've got everything from the ashes of our dogs and our cats that have been important to us in our lives. We've got pictures of our beloved friends that have died, people from the craft that have died and, and influenced mm -hmm. us. But I also have a picture of Julia Child. I have a picture of Anthony oh, Bourdain. Okay. And I have a picture uh, of uh, Escoffier, Auguste Escoffier. Um, sure. And these are culinary heroes to me, either because they were innovators or rebels or amazing people. Or, you know, they, when I think about the way I cook, um, what I've been taught on cooking, you know, those three people have had a big impact on my life personally um, and on the profession of cookery um, or, or the accessibility to cookery, um, you know, for, for many years. So those are folks that are on my uh, ancestor altar at this time of year. Um, and so I think about them when I cook. So uh, we will have three dishes tomorrow for our salad feast. And the first one will be uh, green beans, very, very simple. Green beans mm -hmm. in garlic and butter. Now that mm. dish is very easy to make. Um, and it is a, a dish that Phoenix's grandmother, who is still with us, but Phoenix's grandmother would make that at family meals often. And there are members of her family who are no longer here, her grandfather, for instance. But it was also a dish that Phoenix's grandmother learned to cook. Uh, she's French. So she learned this growing uh -huh. up in France, and it was a family favorite. So it's honoring Phoenix's French ancestors, people in her line, you know, great-grandparents, uncles, aunts, folks like that that have gone by that lived uh, and died in France that Phoenix knew. So we'll okay. have the green beans. Yeah, to celebrate um, Phoenix's family. Then uh, I'm going to make a, um, a shepherd's pie. 
And in, in mm-hmm. the book, The Magic of Food, I talk about this. It's called uh, Shepherd's Pie to Live For. And it's actually my recipe, but it's my version of my grandmother's shepherd's pie recipe. And it's the recipe that my kids have grown up eating. But it reminds me, again, of um, my grandparents, my, who, who are not with me, um, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, great aunts, all of those family members that grew up and lived in, in London or Kent. Um, it was mm-hmm. simple, humble food, and uh, it's delicious as well. So the second dish that we'll be having is shepherd's pie. I'm going to make it a little fancier than I normally do. I'm going to pipe the potatoes onto the top so that they look a little bit more fancy, um, and I'll make sure that they've got a nice little burned or charred bit on top. Charred is the chef term for it, but really I like them a bit crisp and a little bit burnt on the top. Um, but they'll look like meringues. The potatoes will look like little meringues on the top if, if all goes well. Sounds yummy. Yeah, it's really nice. Mm. Yeah. And then the, the third dish that I'm going to make is going to be for the Bourdains and the Julia Childs and all of the ancestors that I'll never know and all of the witches whose names we've either forgotten or we never knew, all of the forgotten dead and the unremembered elders and people whose names we don't speak anymore because we don't know them. And that third dish um, will also represent the place that I live. Um, so I've got a, a pumpkin. Uh, it's about a two and a half mm-hmm. pound pumpkin. So it's not very big. It's one of those lovely green pumpkins that looks like, you know, something out of Cinderella, right? You know, it's nice big <laughs> pumpkin. And I'm going to yeah. cut out the top like you would imagine, scoop out the sure. bits, and then fill it with um, sourdough bread. So that's, you know, kind of a San Francisco Ooh. favorite, a staple. So I'll be using yeah. um, some of my sourdough. But I'll fill that with um, uh, not quite stale bread, but day-old bread. So it's, it's out today. Yeah. I'll fill it with kale that was grown here in Sonoma County where I live. The pumpkin is local. It's from Sonoma County as well. Uh, the bread is San Francisco mm-hmm. style. I'll fill it with kale. I'll fill it with some uh, probably chestnuts. Um, I'm going to be filling it mm. with some local um, sausage and, and a, a mild Italian sausage. I'll be putting in all kinds of herbs and spices. Um, I'll put some cheese in there, some Parmesan from the local area, and I'll bake that for eh, probably 90 minutes at the short end, maybe two hours, depending on how the pumpkin holds up. Um, but I'll, I'll roast that off for a couple of hours. And then um, when it comes out, I'll sprinkle it again with, uh, uh, with Parmesan. I might add some uh, Gruyere in it as well. I'm, I'm debating that. But mm. so it'll, be, yeah, it'll be cheesy and nutty <laughs> and gooey and warm. And then what you do, once you put it on the table, I'll put it on a big cutting board on the table. I'll take a big knife, and then you cut that pumpkin into... I'll probably cut it into, oh, I'm guessing maybe four or six segments, and then you just eat it, like, from the table, you know, so you scoop the pumpkin flesh out, and you grab some of the stuffing with a big spoon and throw it on your plate. So those will be the three things that we eat. 
there'll probably be some wine, I imagine, uh, that will go along with it. Imagine, I know for a fact there'll be some wine going along with that. I was going to say. Um, So there'll be some (laughs) lovely wine. There'll be some toasting. Uh, Phoenix and I will tell stories of our ancestors, favorite aunts and uncles, you know, that aren't with us anymore. We'll remember our dear friends that have passed by. We'll toast their names. We'll say their names out loud. Um, We'll eat. We'll drink. Um, You know, we'll have a a, a really lovely, messy meal of it, getting our hands into it with butter and garlic dripping down our faces. And, you know, it'll be a a really delicious, hands-on, full impact meal um and then um you know the the important part is when we set the table we'll have candles we'll put the pictures of the beloved dead on the table um we'll set the table for three because phoenix and i will be the only ones in the house tomorrow um so we'll set the table for three one for me one for phoenix and then one for all of our relations, all of our ancestors, every one of them, they will get the first plate. They will get the first pour of wine. Uh, my grandmother, before she died, uh, asked me and, and our family that gathered to, she said, anytime you gather, anytime you get together for a celebration, a birthday, a feast, outside barbecue, whatever it was, always remember me with a toast and she's been gone now for about 18 years and um, Mm. every time we have a big gathering we always remember her uh, with a toast that she wanted said it's a very common toast in England but you just raise a glass and you say to absent friends but that's the toast that she Mm -hmm. wanted us to say so we will toast our ancestors but they get the first drink they get the first plate they get the best bit um, so if there's a particularly yep. delicious-looking bit of shepherd's pie that I really want, it's the burnt bit in the corner, that's the bit I'm going to give to my grandmother, even though it's the bit I really want. Um, and then uh-huh. we'll, leave, we'll leave that plate, that offering plate, on the table, as long as it's safe and away from the cat. Uh, and then at some point in the evening, we'll take it outside and we'll give that plate as an offering to... Um, the ancestors, the beings, the raccoons, the foxes, the, you know, whoever it is that's going to come by and eat that food. We're perfectly fine with that. Yep. That's what I do as well. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds like an amazing feast. Is there a dessert that is particular <laughs> that you like to, to serve with this meal or desserts, I should say? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a dessert tomorrow, which has a bit of a controversial name, but I'll, I'll speak to that oh. in a minute. Um, okay. So, and there's quite a story. Now, I have to be honest with you, I haven't made this dessert. It's not difficult, but I haven't made this dessert in years. It's probably been 15 years maybe since I've made this dessert. And Wow. Um, somebody mentioned it the other day, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. Now, uh, if, if anybody listens to this show, grew up or ever spent time in Kent, which is a county in uh, the south of England, sort of south of London, um, and uh, there was this dessert, and there's quite a lovely story that goes with it. 
But there was this very sweet, sickly, like insipid dessert that we would eat as kids. And all it is, condensed milk, um, Mm -hmm. a cracker base, you know, like graham cracker. In England, we probably would use hobnobs, which are biscuits, cookies, or uh, digestive biscuits, right? So kind of a whole wheat Mm -hmm. um, base. And then it's condensed milk and muscovado sugar. That's it. That's all there is to it. Um, And it's it's very sweet. So the name of this is called Gypsy Tart. So the word gypsy, obviously, um, can be a little bit problematic. Um, Personally, I don't have an issue with that name, and I will tell you why. So my family uh, are travelers. We uh, We have some Romani folk in our family. Um, we have some Irish travelers in our family. We have a very well-documented family history of being travelers, being uh, uh-huh. what is a slur term called gypsies, but that's our family. So I'm okay with using the term gypsy tart because my family are like, yeah, fuck it, we don't care. Like, we're going to, yeah, we'll take that one. You want to call me a gypsy? Fine, fuck you, right? So... Um, I, uh-huh. we take that on as kind of a badge of honor, as like a lot of people take on the name witch as a badge of honor. Now, I want to be really gotcha. clear. I'm not speaking for all Romani people or any Romani people apart from my family, and not everybody sure. in my family agrees with that. But um, so, you know, there's probably a better name that we could come up for Gypsy Tart, but that's what everybody in Kent knows it as. Uh, and the story behind uh, this tart was there were some travelers in town that were coming in to do the seasonal fruit picking. This is back in the 1950s. And these folks were coming in um, to pick, which was, again, very common. They were seasonal workers. My family did a lot of picking. Um, uh, that's how, how our family made money amongst um, other ways that I shan't go into. Um, but... Um, uh, they would come into town and they would peck. And there was this woman, this housewife, that was looking out of her kitchen window and she saw these two, to her mind, scrawny, dirty kids that were clearly part of one of the traveling families. And she thought to herself, hungry, they look thin, I'm going to make them a nice treat. She felt sorry for them. Um, And so she looked around and she didn't have anything. She had some biscuits. So she bashed up the biscuits Uh to make the base. She had some sugar and she had some, uh, some condensed milk. So she invented gypsy tart. That's at least the story. And then she took it out and Uh she gave it to these kids and they loved it. And somehow through the magic uh, of that one event, Gypsy Tart was born, and it's all over Kent. Now, people that didn't live in Kent or didn't spend time in Kent growing up in the last 70 years have no idea what Gypsy Tart is, and when they taste it, it's like, Ugh, that's horrible, right? But it's like like sweet potato pie. Like, that's not for everyone, right? But it's a, it's a particular mm-hmm. favorite in a lot of places, especially in the South, obviously, where you are. So there are some sure. dishes that are regional, and, and Gypsy Tart is one of those regional dishes in England that most people can't stand, but it brings back lovely memories for me. So I think I'm going to make gypsy tart and Phoenix is sort of eyeing me going, 
I don't think I want that. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I'm just going to make a small one. I'm not going to make a big one. But, um, yeah, and, it, you know, it might end up, uh, that might be the ancestor. That might end up being an offering to the to the fae or the ancestors because it might be too terribly sweet. But, yeah, I think I'm probably going to make that tomorrow. That's interesting. You know, and I wanted to ask you, what do you think about honoring ancestors that, not even that you were not close to, but some that you just plain don't like. So here's the thing that I think about that. So a lot of people, you know, will say, well, I don't honor my ancestors because they were racists or they were um, horrible people for for whatever reason. Um, You know, they were alcoholics, they were abusive, whatever it was. And here's the way I kind of think about it. Everybody, everybody, if we, if we had really good detailed records, at some point in everybody's lineage, there's an asshole, right? That's just the yep. worst to it. Now, you might know them, or, or there may have been, um, you know, people that worked in the slave trade 300 years ago that you never would know about, right? So in everyone's family, there's someone that's terrible, and despicable. Now, there's also thousands upon thousands upon thousands of ancestors that got up, put their shoes on, brushed their teeth, loved their wife, pet their dog, fed their children, went to work, made their lives better, made their kids' lives better, uh, loved the people that they were with. Thousands thousands of of ancestors. But here's the one thing that I would say. Look, pretend COVID wasn't happening for a moment. If you were going to have a party tomorrow night, a Samhain party, and you were going to invite over your relatives, would you invite that jerk of an uncle? Probably not. Would Would you want that terrible aunt that was just a horrible person to your kids growing up, would you invite her over for a backyard barbecue? Probably not. It's the same thing with ancestors. Look, we've all got problematic ancestors. So think about, at least on Samhain, it's not about necessarily working with every ancestor that's in your line. It could be. It could be about saying, you know what, I'm going to, finally sit down with Uncle Joe, even though he's been dead for 20 years, and I'm going to have a conversation with Joe, and I'm going to tell him what I really think about him. I've never said it out loud before. He's dead, probably won't know, but I'm going to sit down over my Samhain dinner, and I'm going to say, Joe, I'm inviting you to the table tonight. You were a prick. You shouldn't have done this or that, or I can't believe that you believe that way. Have that conversation with Joe if that's what you want to do. If you don't want to work with those problematic ancestors, don't invite them. Have a meal with the ones that you loved, with the ones that you imagine love you. And, you know, depending on your belief system, Raina, if you think your ancestors are standing behind you, you know, looking out after you, um, then thank them. Invite them. Spend time with the ones that you love and you remember. There will be plenty of time to go back and work with the ones that weren't so nice, um, if that's yeah. what you choose to do. 
But yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't want to do ancestor worship because some of my ancestors were terrible. Yep, they probably were. Don't invite them. Just like you wouldn't invite them over for yeah. Christmas dinner. Right. And, you know, and the reason why I even bring this up is because my children are, um, through their birth father, they are Welsh and also from Cambridge in England. And I make mm-hmm. mushy peas. Well, I make, Amer- I make American mushy peas. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't been able to get marrow-fat peas and do it properly. So I do right. have yeah, I, I haven't been able to find them, so I make a, a bastardized version of it. And I do it because, you know, even though they're not my ancestors, they're, they're the ancestors of my children. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a couple of them, I mean, I did know, and I'm like, oh, those people really did not get along with me. Um, it was difficult. We had a difficult time. But I also think that when people cross over that, you know, they actually, once you step through the veil, I like to think of it as they become part of the great knowledge where um, they realize, as we all will, the shitty things we did to people that we loved or that loved us or both. And, you know, we we have a chance to affect change from the other side. Do you Do you find any of that to be true? Does any of that align with you? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I do, you know, who, who knows what's next, but if what's right. next is this um, understanding of the, of the realms of the universe of life uh, in, you know, from this different perspective, if that is part of what is next, then yeah, I would like to think that those ancestors go, Oh shit, man, I was a prick. You know, I did the best that yeah. I could, but man, I was not a really good person. And perhaps there is some work that they can do from that side to make changes, right? To, um, you know, who knows yeah. what that looks like. Um, so, yeah, I, I do hope, I love that phrase, they become part of the great knowledge. I think that is a beautiful image and a lovely phrase. So, yeah, I hope that that is true. And, and um, also... Let's just say the opposite is completely true. Let's just say you take your last breath and that's it. You worm food. No afterlife, no summer lands, no spirit, yeah. no soul, nothing. You're just a lump of meat right in a, bo- in a box, right? Let's say that that's, yeah. The, yeah. that's the, the option. So that means that we, as their descendants, whether that's actual biological descendants or just people that inherited the family name or, or the craft, from those people, you know, whatever it is, we can look back and say, look, here's what they did in their lifetime, as much as we know. Here are the good things that they did. Here are the challenging things that they did. Here are the terrible things that they did. What can we learn about their circumstances? Why would they have thought that way, believed that way, acted that way? What were their intentions? You know, maybe they had really Mm. good intentions that went wrong. Maybe they... um, did some really bad things and somewhere along the line, something good came out of it. That doesn't justify the bad that they did, but perhaps we can take a perspective and instead of just pigeonholing them and saying, you know, uncle Joe was a terrible man. Well, uncle Joe may have been a terrible man and he may have raised a really lovely family that are taking care of you now. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. we have to look at it from the perspective of, we don't have to forgive them. Certainly, you don't have to forget them. Yeah. But what we can do is say, well, 
um, what do I know of this person? What do I know of the times? And how do I minimize the negative impact that they had? How do I undo some of the, you know, maybe in the grand scheme, maybe the systems of oppression that they worked for? Mm -hmm. So if you know that in your family history that you had a slave owner or a plantation owner or something like that in your family lineage, well, you can't undo the the terrible thing that slavery was. But what you can do today is work for equality, justice. You can become part of the Black Lives Matters movement or support people that are in a better position. You can amplify their voices. So can you erase the past? No. Can you work today to make it better so that those that will look back at you as an ancestor can say, wow, yeah, she had a slave owner or a grandfather or a great-grandfather, and look at everything that she tried to do to undo that or make it better, whether that's one person's life or a you know, generation of people. And I think that's where ancestor work can be really practically rooted in today. Honor your ancestors. Pour a glass of wine that they would have loved. Eat a meal that would have made them just absolutely happy to sit at your table and then continue the great work they started or undo the shitty work that they did. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's the best way we can honor our ancestors is, is do good work in their name, remember them and leave the world, our families, our communities a little bit better than we found them. Wow. That's like, (laughs) I'm I'm so inspired now. I want to run into the kitchen and start cooking like everything, Um, you know, everything from like one grandmother made stuffed cabbage beautifully and another one made, well, I make the best sauce out of anybody in the family. So I'm going to do that in honor of my mother and my mother-in-law whom I love and, and miss terribly. There, there are so many good people there. I mean, I don't think you can be alive and not have some kind of shitty something in your family. But you're right. I mean, to strive to to right the wrong as as much as you can in this life is is something we can all do. And I think I'm so glad you said that. That's so important that we not just ignore. You know, there's a lot of sweeping things under the rug that we don't want to look at. And you just gave me a beautiful way to say, you know what, I have to look at certain things and accept them for what they are and maybe do better because of that. Let that be the impetus to go forward and do better. And I I love that you said that. So thank you for that. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and I, we, we don't have a lot of time left, but um, I I heard something about another upcoming book. I, I heard about a book called life ritualized, a witch's guide to honoring life's important moments. That sounds amazing. Can you tell us about that? I can. So um, the the book, again, Life Ritualized, first of all, it's coming out in February of 2021. It is available for Lovely. pre-order now. So you can order it from Llewellyn or Amazon or your local bookstore, or you can get a hold of me and pre-order it from me directly. So it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's coming out soon. Um, it was co-written by... Um, Phoenix LaFay and myself. 
So Phoenix is mm-hmm. my um, partner. She's my wife. She's my business partner. She's my very best friend. She's the most amazing witch and teacher I've ever been around. Um, I don't say that because we're married um, or that she's standing near me because she's not. Um, I truly, I've enjoyed every <laughs> single class or lesson or ritual that Phoenix has ever led. She's she's the most amazing priestess I've, I've ever met. So it was a joy to write this book with her. She will probably not say it was a joy because um, I'm not as good with deadlines as she is. But um, we ah. we wrote this book together. <laughs> and <laughs> And what we, the idea of the book was we wanted to look at, all of the rituals in life. So if you pick up most books on uh, kind of the wheel of the year, you know, it's always the big celebration, Samhain, Beltane, uh, summer solstice, whatever yeah. it might be. Right. Um, and then yeah. um, maybe there are some other things like hand fastings or, or funerals. You know, we think of those sort of those big rites of passage. There are a thousand moments um, if you go on Facebook or whatever social media that, that y- you like to go on, you know, there's always that post from a friend that posts a picture of their cat or their dog that says, you know, dear Mr. Kitty, we love you. This is going to be your last day. And and then they show a lovely picture of their beloved cat through the years. Well, how do we do ritual for that? That's a family member. There's no book out there that says, here's how you grieve for a cat. Or here's how you celebrate your teenager getting their driver's license. Or here's a ritual when all of a sudden the house is quiet and you realize that your three-year-old is now a 23-year-old and they've moved out. Um, When my daughter, she was 18, when she moved out, I was devastated. My son had moved out a few years beforehand and I missed him terribly. I missed his presence in the house, but it wasn't until my baby left, you know, my little girl, it wasn't until she left that I felt really alone in the house, even though Phoenix was here. And and even though my teenage stepdaughter, who I love and adore, she's an amazing kid. But when my baby moved out, you know, so the book is filled with rituals to say hello to your new house and to say goodbye to an old house. And, um, uh, to grieve a miscarriage and to celebrate a birth mm. and to say goodbye to a cat, to welcome in a new child to the home that's maybe not um, a biological child. You know, what's a ritual for mm-hmm. adopting a child? What's the pagan ritual for that? Um, coming out rituals. You know, so many of the people I know, myself included, um, yeah. are queer people. Mm-hmm. What are the rituals for coming yeah. out? When, if a person uh, identifies as transgender, uh, um, what's the ritual to honor that, right? These things don't necessarily exist, um, or they do, but they haven't been codified. So Phoenix and I thought that that would be um, a lovely book to write, to give shape and ritual and meaning to important moments in life that don't always get celebrated. And the way the book is written is that it sort of says, look, here's what we might do, something different. So it's kind of a, here's a ritual that you could do, and then here are different ways that you can make it your own ritual. You know, that makes sense? 
It does. And quite honestly, you know, I have a niece who's transitioning into her authentic self, and I'm very excited. And I keep wondering, is there a ritual? Because I'm not really finding rituals for this and appropriate things that that we could celebrate and i i think that's wonderful that you're you're getting a book for me that i actually really need right now um so yeah, that's and, beautiful and to, i mean to be to be really clear i oh, want to be transparent about that neither phoenix nor i yeah. are, are are trans people so we actually enlisted the help of a dear friend of ours um, who has much, much more insight on that. And they actually sure. um, helped us write that piece and wrote that piece. So, you know, we also recognize that, you know, while we might be authorities in some subjects, we're complete, completely ignorant in others. And so where it was appropriate, we, we asked for help. And I think that's a ritual in and of itself. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's filled with all kinds of wonderful rituals, I think, I hope. Well, and I want to thank you for, for doing something, and, and, of course, your lovely wife, for doing something that doesn't necessarily affect you, but to be so inclusive as to make sure you do include that, I think is absolutely loving and, and, and generous of spirit. And thank you both so much for that. Hmm. Yeah, it was our pleasure. We had a good time writing it. Like, hmm, what rituals are important? And there's also some, you know, some personal anecdotes in there as well of rituals that we created or, or life passages that we went through as a couple, as a family. Um, and um, so, yeah, you'll you'll learn a little bit about Phoenix and Guion as well and our family, um, as well as, as, you know, I don't know, I can't even remember how many rituals there are in the book now, probably, I don't know, 50, 60 different rituals in the book that you could do. Oh, wow. I would love it if you'd, if you'd come back on to talk about the book when it's released. Absolutely. And I'll sit quietly in the background and let the amazing Phoenix LaFay chat. <laughs> so. I would, I would adore that if she if she would be willing I would certainly be ecstatic to speak with her and you are lovely as well and I thank you so much for spending this time with me do you have any other words of encouragement or anything else you'd like to pass along in the in the couple of minutes we've got left absolutely so for anyone listening and certainly Raina for you and me as well you know, the next few days mm. for the next week, depending on how you celebrate Samhain, um, eat, drink, be merry, celebrate your ancestors, cry over the ones that you miss. I mean, get a bowl of hug and dust and just cry and, you know, just really <laughs> uh, envelop, you know, just, just be, be part of the grief. Because if you, if you grieve somebody, it means you miss them. And if you miss them, it means you probably love and they probably loved you. So, you know, dive into that a little bit. Embrace the, the grief. Remember the good times. Uh, eat well this weekend. Please, please, mm-hmm. please vote on Tuesday if you haven't <laughs> already. And help people to yeah. vote if you can, you know, get the day off work or whatever it is that you do to encourage everyone to vote. And you know, regardless of what the outcome is of the election, uh, we've all got a lot of work to do on Wednesday. So eat well, uh, be filled, be strong, be ready for whatever comes on Wednesday, because it will be a different world no matter what the election results are. 
Very true. And that's if we even know at that point. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that it may be a couple of weeks before we know. Oh, shades of 2000, scary. But, but, you know, I mean, no matter what, we are are a strong people, and we're going to get through this. We got through the last four years. Whatever is brought to us, we will deal with it. We will get by as long as we stick together. And um, we all keep doing the great work. Yeah, that's true. There you go. We are tough. We are tough people. That's right. Don't give into despair and celebrate your ancestors and enjoy. Try to get a break from all the politics this weekend. And like Ryan says, definitely, you know, feel all the feelings about your family members. Get that Hagen Dazs. I love Hagen Dazs. You really had to say (laughs) that, huh? Um, Yeah, I love ice cream. But no, seriously, it's a time to celebrate the ones who've gone before and uh, try to take as much joy in the little things as possible. You know, go outside and breathe in the cool air now that things are cooling off in a lot of parts of the country. And uh, just, you know, a lot of us have lost a lot, but a lot of us are doing okay and we're all still here and we're going to make it through and just be encouraged and, you know, on Tuesday, if you haven't, as Green says, voted already, do it that day. You know, if you need snacks, call, I'll come. I'll bring chicken. I'll find something. <laughs> I'll make sure you're fed and have a bathroom break. I'll stand in line for you if I have to while you go to the bathroom. Oh, this is how we did it. We we voted the first day of early voting that way. We went as a team. We went to do two different places, and one was a runner and one was a stander, and we got it done, you know, and it's it's Brilliant. important. It's important. All right, Green Raven, thank you again. And I hope you have a most blessed Samhain. And I hope you have loads of reasons to celebrate and on Tuesday as well. Thank you again for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you ever so much. It's always a blast. Take care. You too. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it right here. I will be back tomorrow with the amazing Michael Herkus, and we are going to talk about some Blue Moon Glamour. Ooh, can't wait. All right, guys, have a wonderful evening. I will talk to you tomorrow, 1 p.m. Have a great night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.